Professor Tiffany Lee discusses her recent article on privacy law in the post-pandemic age. This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. So, Tiffany, the outbreak of COVID-19 upended everyone's lives, whether it was working from home, having children learning from home, being isolated, so spending more time online, the increased need to share massive amounts of data to combat viral spread. Uh, you wrote an article titled Post-Pandemic Privacy Law that was published in the American University Law Review, Volume 70. Uh, May, it was released on May 28th. Uh, I'll post a link to the article in the podcast description and in the podcast blog entry at law.unh.edu slash podcast. To start off with this conversation, what led you to write this article? I was inspired to write the article uh, because a lot of privacy problems were happening and still are happening throughout the pandemic. I wrote a previous article mapping out a lot of the privacy implications of the pandemic. And there I looked at all the different ways that technology and public health have changed uh, throughout the past two years. And this article, I started thinking about the fact that You know, we may at some point, hopefully, get to a post-pandemic era. Um, But the problem is that it's not happening as fast as we wanted it to. So if we had finished everything and the the pandemic had been over um, early this year, uh, we could have maybe thought about going back to where we were before, uh, back to a legal normal. But because that's not happening anytime soon, I think that this idea of a post-pandemic privacy law really has to involve a lot of different things than what we did before. And what are the things that have changed specifically when it comes to legal requirements that should either be opened up or restricted, in your opinion? A number of things have changed. I think one of the greatest shifts has simply been that there has been so much more data collection and data surveillance, Um, even just the past few years. We've been used to giving up our data for things like no employment screenings or education screenings. Um, We allow um, COVID-19 tracing to happen sometimes through human means, but also through digital app means. We're getting used to this. We're getting used to temperature checks at the doorway when you go into a restaurant, right? That's, this is something new. And I think these changes mean that we're gonna have to really deal with a shift in expectation of privacy. If everybody sort of accepts more privacy violations, that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, And the law should make sure we still have safeguards to protect us, both from government overreach and corporate overreach. Yeah, for, I mean, personally, it it makes me... It, from the after the first couple months when people start we started opening back up again it was pretty obvious that the data collection on a case by case basis was going to be constant where um, you get the vaccine they're like well, do you want to be put in the New Hampshire database for people that have been vaccinated and personally I'm like I don't know if I want to be on this list and it made me long term consider like what other things have I been signing on for uh, to give away health information it it may not necessarily be a HIPAA thing, but it's definitely a digital and um, personal privacy issue. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the first time I went to a restaurant and I had to uh, fill out a form with all my information so they could do contact tracing, right? That was a bit of a shock to me. Do do I trust the Applebee's of my phone number, name, and address? (laughs) 
Right, exactly, right? That's not, we never had to do that before, yeah. right? Um, but now it's, it's normal. Um, I never had a temperature check when I walked into a store. That's like a strange violation of privacy. And we may not care about it, right? They may not be recording the, the temperature or anything, but still it's a new type of data collection. And my fear is that we're all getting more and more used to this. And the pandemic just really accelerated the shift in privacy norms so that we accept privacy violations. So I think the law has to have some solutions for that. And we have to make sure that any legal solutions for privacy um, allow for you know, emergency response, but don't allow for these this rash of violations that occur just because there's a public health emergency or just because there's a national security emergency or something like that. We can't just be responding to each emergency as if we can give up all our privacy immediately. Yeah, we heard it a lot when it came to like on, on the forefront of everyone's minds as we were going through the pandemic. Um, it, it seemed a lot more prevalent was like the freedom of speech around uh, being able to do certain speak up against whether you thought the government was doing the correct thing or not when it came to YouTube and such. But I, I feel like what you're talking about was is a lot more important in the long term with regards to um, you're setting a norm that you may not may not be ideal and <laughs> that you don't necessarily want because I was hesitant like Facebook is spamming you all the time like do you want to tell us whether you've had COVID or if you've been near someone who has COVID and I don't think that's normal I mean what are your um, what what sort of advice do you have towards people looking at legislation being created one way or another so there definitely are things I think we have to think about for a future privacy law uh, either a federal law that governs privacy across sectors or any sort of new sectoral privacy law or even a new state privacy law. Uh, so first, I think we really have to consider the entire data ecosystem. Uh, some of our privacy laws are still based on things like having consent at the first point of data collection. But that doesn't really get to the fact that now your data is sold and resold and repackaged and aggregated um, to all of these data brokers. And the data brokers sell that data back to everyone else. Um, so the downstream effects of the data ecosystem, you're not really protected against that in a law that just governs against, you know, collecting data without initial consent. So that's something I think that's really important. And I also think we have to think about, you know, systemic inequalities in privacy, which people don't have the opportunity to consent to data collection. Uh, which people have more privacy violations or experience more privacy violations. Um, and the third thing I think is really important is this idea of sustainability. So the next privacy, if we have a federal privacy law, it's very possible that it's going to run right into the next emergency, the next public health or public safety or whatever emergency. And the danger is that whatever privacy laws we develop will fall against that that we'll have another emergency that allows us to agree to more privacy violations. Um, and I think we need to try to ward against that um, in any future laws that we make. And to me, it seems like this would essentially have to be a federal law because of the, I mean, the the, na the whole nature of the fact that all, a lot of these, uh, especially from a technology perspective, most of these companies are based out of California. I'm all the way in New Hampshire. And if New Hampshire puts in a law, there, it's really hard for, or um, impossible in many situations to divide this state has these privacy laws versus another. Yep, I agree. I do think a federal privacy law would be helpful just because otherwise 
you know, companies have to comply with 50 states of laws um, and those laws can conflict. And like you said, um, a really strong law in, say, you know, Illinois might not protect you in New Hampshire. And we have that actually. Illinois has a really strong biometric privacy state law uh, that protects against some abuses in terms of collection of use of biometric data. So data related to your body, your face, and so on. Um, but other states don't have that. So there are some circumstances when, um, you know, Facebook, for example, has been sued under that law, uh, specifically regarding the biometric data they've collected from Illinois residents. And that's well and good for Illinois. Um, but again, what if you don't live there? What if you live in a state without those laws, right? So I do think we need a federal privacy law. And I agree, um, it's because we have this conflict of laws issue and every American should be protected, um, not just people in certain states. Yeah, it seems like it. It it's, uh, reminds me of like the car law, the car um, uh, pollution laws that California put out there that essentially impacted the entire auto industry. Where they had to, they can't just say, okay, these hundred, couple hundred cars are going to go to California. Uh, no, it's easier to just change the whole way we do everything in order to make this large, powerful government uh, over in that part of the country happy. Yeah, exactly. So a, a lot of courts have looked at this issue um, because they've argued that basically what you're allowing is, for example, on the issue of biometric privacy, you're letting Illinois make the rules for everyone. Um, and that's not necessarily what we want. So a federal privacy law would also get around that problem um, because it would have something that, you know, in the most ideal sense, we've all sort of agreed to via our representatives. Um, and that could be the best way forward. What legislation do you uh, do you have advice that people should consider looking into specifically? I don't see any specific uh, proposals right now that I would argue really take into account the factors that I mentioned. Um, I do think a federal privacy law is coming. If for no other reason than all of the lobbyists have been working on this for many years. But that's not necessarily a good sign. So we'll see what actually <laughs> comes out of this, right? Um, I mean, a lot of there's a lot of money behind this on all sides. Everybody wants a piece of whatever federal privacy law develops. Um, so I do think it's going to develop. Um, but as it does, we need to get these ideas into it, right? That means, you know, you know, lobbying through um, civil society, advocacy organizations, nonprofits, but also things like just having academic pieces out there, right? That's to discuss things from a little more neutral angle. Uh, I mean, you know, my research here, for example, is not funded by anyone. Um, so I'm able to say whatever I want on these issues. And that's not necessarily the case for some, you know, policy organizations. So I think academic research has a lot to do here, um, you know, if it gets heard um, and if, you know, it reaches the right people. It's inherently complicated. I mean, you look at the terms of service for any uh, anytime you're going to be signing up for anything online, it's they need to make sure they're not going to get sued if a company decides they want to be first stepping in to say uh, we want these specific rules to go into place. Like this is probably going to be something that's going to take a couple of years to even begin to get mainstream appeal, if I had to guess, unfortunately, because of the nature of COVID. I agree. I think everything is slow when it involves such you know big ideas and big topics, and it's even slower right now. Um, there, in my paper, I talk a little bit about some of the proposals that were specific to COVID privacy. 
and a few of the privacy-related provisions and some of the coronavirus relief bills that were passed. And what you found, I think, is a lot of people just do not have the time or energy to think about privacy, which I get it, right? You know, we're, we were in an active emergency. We still arguably are. Um, and, you know, maybe there are more important things like making sure people are able to get into a hospital, right? That, that makes sense to me. Um, but I worry, though, that if we keep allowing this emergency excuse to take over, that's going to harm our long-term privacy rights. That's something that I really hope that we can keep an eye out for, um, you know, not even just now, but in the next few years, as hopefully, you know, we get back to a bit of a bit more normal state. In in rural areas, especially, I mean, even not so rural areas like Concord, just the cities in Manchester, in like Manchester, like the kind of medium sized cities in the United States, you don't necessarily have other options. So if you're not happy what a certain company is doing with regards to uh, privacy, you don't necessarily have another option to go to. Like if I'm not happy that the hospital here in town is. Uh, doing certain is collecting certain bits of information, but they won't let you into the hospital to be treated. You don't really have a choice. Yeah, exactly. You are really stuck with whatever the hospitals decide. Um, and you're right. This does disproportionately affect people who live in, you know, more rural communities or communities just without as much access to healthcare. Um, and that definitely is something I think is important. And gets that theme I mentioned earlier. We have to think about this sort of inequalities um, in privacy protection. And this means both inequalities in things like, you know, some people don't have a choice whether or not to consent. You can't choose to consent to data collection, um, health data collection, if, like you said, there's only one hospital, you know, within your entire area, entire region of the states. Um, and that's a problem. And that's something that I think often isn't talked about. Um, we have issues like, um, going back to sort of the rural communities theme, in some places where you can't access, you know, a physical clinic or hospital, a lot of people have to turn to telehealth, to, you know, calling or using video chat to talk to doctors and nurses. Um, and that means, you know, consenting to a lot of data collection, uh, potentially having your conversations recorded, your data recorded, your face, your voice, and so on. Uh, but if you live in a community without physical clinics and hospitals, that's the only choice you have. Um, so that's people, really problematic. And a lot of people just don't have the ability to do that effectively, whether it's access to proper ba uh, broadband internet, whether it's having devices that can actually make the connection efficiently. Uh, that's not necessarily an option. Like, I felt fortunate. Like, I went to, like, for personal example, I went to go buy glasses uh, in the middle of this pandemic, it's last fall, and I walked into the shop that I've never been to before, and it's like, okay, we're gonna need your your personal your contact information to if you want to even be in here to even look at glasses. I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with that. I felt I was lucky where I I'm internet adept and know how to go online and find glasses online, but I was taking uh, there's inherent economic risk that maybe I'm not like these. I'm gonna have to wait longer to get the product that I really need in order to see and do my job. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, internet access is a huge issue. And I think, you know, for for things like, well, you want to buy glasses, right? Or you want to go shopping, you want to go to a restaurant, something like that. Internet access is important. But it gets really important in times like, you know, last year uh, when people couldn't go outside for things. So then you limited people where students um, in homes without strong internet access, they couldn't attend school. 
right? They didn't have the internet access yeah. or they didn't have computers. Um, and that's a huge problem that we have not dealt with. Um, definitely many marginalized communities um, in urban areas and in rural areas have a huge internet access problems. And this is also something where Congress should be stepping in and stepping up to fix. Yeah, and this is part of the infrastructure bill in theory would be assisting with with bandwidth access across the country. But um, I've, I've had conversations with, with a couple different people, and you're talking a decade for many for many of these large scale internet infrastructure plans to actually get rolled out get that last mile to individuals that are in rural parts of the country. I mean, New Hampshire is kind of fortunate that the University of New Hampshire actually did the Connect NH program a few years back. So a majority of the state has infrastructure of some sort that's ban that has broadband level access, but it, it is not across the board. And I can speak, speak to rural Maine. They definitely don't have consistent broadband access everywhere. There's residences. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. And it, it is likely going to take a long time for us to get there. Um, it's also, it's just something that uh, maybe didn't seem as big of a problem um, until last year when it became so starkly clear how much internet mattered. Uh, I mean, the students who couldn't go to school, the people who couldn't go to work, um, or who couldn't even, for example, access you know listings for jobs because they didn't have internet, they didn't have computers. They can no longer go to a public library and use the free internet there. This is a problem I, I do care about a lot. Um, and it's a little bit related to the privacy issue too. Like you mentioned, when you have fewer options, for example, if you can only access the internet through your public library, that means that you have to enter the library, consent to be recorded by the library's cameras, probably sign in through a library computer, which means tracking your data. Like there are, when there are fewer options, you have less privacy. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of our privacy laws don't really take into account the sort of inherent inequalities um, that, you know, plague a lot of different people for different reasons. All right, we got about a minute and a half left here, Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, where can people learn more about your work and check out your previous articles? Sure. So you can check out my profile on the UNH Law website. I also have a personal website. It's Tiffany Lee, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-L-I.com, um, where I have information about my articles, my speaking, and so on. Thank you so much. This, this has been a great conversation. We'll definitely be having Tiffany on again in the future to talk about uh, talk about things like this. Uh, technology, privacy uh, is very important to the future of everything, essentially, in this country, especially in this post-pandemic age. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.